Ladies and gents, my name is Brandon Stover. Welcome to the How to Solve Climate Change course from Plato University. Causes, systems, obstacles, solutions to this global challenge is what you're going to learn here today. When you're ready to learn more skills, join us for free at plato.university. Let's get started with today's lesson. We'll have our expert guests briefly introduce themselves and their credentials for why they are able to speak to this topic. Hello, my name is Brian DeBruin. I'm the director and founder of the nonprofit Colorado Hydrogen Network. Now, before the Colorado Hydrogen Network, I had a 36-year career with Honeywell Aerospace doing design engineering, systems engineering, and developing new products and programs. After taking early retirement, I decided to apply my skills to help deploy hydrogen infrastructure. Now, because of my engineering background, I recognized that the reasons to deploy hydrogen for the energy transition were complicated, and that complexity would weaken the appreciation of the need for hydrogen by a lot of people. And I was most concerned about the area of transportation, where many people think that battery vehicles alone would be adopted by everyone, but really nothing could be further from the truth. To decarbonize 100% of vehicles, we need another choice to meet everyone's needs, which is hydrogen electric vehicles. Now, through my background writing technical business proposals, I had a lot of experience taking complex engineering topics and explaining them in a way that anyone can understand. Plus, I had skills in organizing and leading people. So in my retirement, I didn't want these skills, which took me an entire career to develop, to go to waste. So I decided to apply them to hydrogen advocacy and started the hydrogen nonprofit organization, the Colorado Hydrogen Network. Explain succinctly what hydrogen energy is from first principles. Well, there's something very special about hydrogen, and that is that it can be made from electricity by splitting water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen, and then hydrogen can be turned back into electricity by combining it with oxygen, resulting in electricity and water. So electricity and hydrogen are really two sides of our zero carbon energy coin. So basically what we're doing is transforming electrons or electricity into molecules or hydrogen. The advantage to molecules over electrons is long-term stability, fast transfer to vehicles because of the high energy density, and the ability to generate high temperatures and for long distance energy transport, like across ocean. Why does hydrogen energy help to solve climate change? Why hydrogen? Well, the purpose of the energy transition is to replace all uses of fossil fuels with energy that's either zero carbon, carbon neutral, or carbon negative, and wherever possible is renewable. But to lead to the right solutions, our thought process we need to take is to ask ourselves, what are the functions of fossil fuels we're trying to replace? And then for each of those current fossil fuel functions, what forms of renewable energy best perform the function. And that might be electricity, that might be hydrogen, or it might even be biofuels. Now to answer the question of which form of zero carbon energy best satisfies some function, the new energy form has to meet three criteria. It's gotta be technically feasible, it has to be the same or lower cost, and it's gotta be socially acceptable. You know, People will never accept a renewable energy solution if it doesn't have the same or better performance and convenience. For example, you can't propose a solution to water conservation that asks people to give up their toilets and go back to using outhouses. So what are the functions that fossil fuels give us that need to be replaced by zero carbon energy? 
Well, there are six basic things. We need sources of energy. We need carriers of energy. We need storability for long and short term. We need fast transfer, for example, to vehicles. We need something capable of generating high temperatures for industry. And we also need long distance energy transport. So again, the six things we need are an energy source, energy carrier, storability, fast transfer, high temperatures, and long distance energy transport. So let's look at our replacement options to meet these fossil fuel functions. So really there are four components. First, electricity from wind, solar, geothermal, or hydroelectric. Second, we have the electric grid. And third, batteries. And fourth and finally is hydrogen. Well, the first, meaning electricity from wind, solar, geothermal, and hydroelectric, are only an energy source. By themselves, they aren't carriers, they aren't, aren't storable, and so on. Now, the electric grid really only meets the function of being an energy carrier, and batteries are also an energy carrier, but they can be used for at least short-term storage. So with only those choices, we haven't covered long-term energy storage, fast transfer to vehicles, capability to generate high temperatures, and suitability for long-distance energy transport. However, hydrogen does meet all six of this, these criteria. It can be a source of energy via biomass conversion to hydrogen and also an energy source via natural hydrogen wells, which are just now starting to be developed. Now, hydrogen, of course, is an energy carrier, and it can be stored for short or long term. And since it's a molecule and not an electron, vast amounts can be transferred quickly, just like gasoline or diesel are. Now, hydrogen is capable of producing high temperatures for industrial processes, and it can be transported over long distance via either pipelines or tankers. So the point is that without hydrogen, if we just tried to use electricity batteries in the grid, they can't perform all the functions that fossil fuels do with the same performance and convenience. Steel man the other side. Why would hydrogen energy not work to solve climate change? Before Brian discusses the need for other sustainable technologies in collaboration with hydrogen, I would like to briefly mention one potential downside to hydrogen. Hydrogen can actually be quite an energy-intensive process. The current dominant methods of hydrogen production, like steam methane reforming, require significant energy and might not be fully carbon neutral. Back to you, Brian. Well, hydrogen isn't the only energy source or carrier that we need to replace the functions of fossil fuels. We need electricity and likely biofuels as well. Now, the three areas that are the hardest to decarbonize are aviation, maritime or shipping, and building heating. Now, hydrogen will work in some cases for aviation, and certainly electric heat pumps will work for new buildings. But there are some reasons why we may need to turn to biofuels. Now, in the case of long-distance aviation, because of the huge amount of energy needed and because of the weight and volume constraints, it may prove more practical to simply use a biofuel. Now, the biofuel is carbon neutral, meaning that the carbon is pulled from the atmosphere to create the fuel, then the carbon goes back to the atmosphere when the fuel is used. Now, biology, such as algae, is probably the best way to do atmospheric carbon capture to create the fuel, rather than with machines. Now, in the case of building heating, electric heat pumps are the ideal solution for new construction. But for existing buildings, because of the huge cost to replace existing gas and oil furnaces, replacing the fuel but keeping the infrastructure 
is a far more practical solution. Again, using algae, biogas and bio-oils can be created using direct air carbon capture. Now, using algae has the advantage that lucrative co-products can be created, such as animal feed or industrial chemicals. So the economics of this means that some of the bio-crude could be sequestered, for example, down old oil wells, in order to make the whole process slightly carbon negative. But besides the cost of replacing existing furnaces, doing that is going to require the home and billing owners to allow the work to be done. And human nature being what it is, not everyone will concede to the replacement, even at no cost to them, because heat pump furnaces really do operate a little bit differently than the gas or the oil that they're used to. Now, regarding shipping, huge amounts of energy are needed, and it has to be stored for long periods of time as the ship traverses oceans. Now, the likely alternatives are hydrogen, ammonia, and methanol. So hydrogen stored as a gas requires expensive high-pressure tanks. And liquid hydrogen also needs expensive insulated tanks and has to be refrigerated to keep it from boiling off. Now, ammonia is a viable technical solution, but ammonia is a tissue irritant, which can even be lethal at high concentrations. So those concerns limit its appeal. So that leaves methanol, which is a hydrocarbon. But methanol could be created from algae so that it can be carbon neutral or slightly carbon negative as some of the biocrete is sequestered. Now, in fact, the shipping company Maersk is currently building a ship that runs on methanol. Also, since methanol is stable at ambient temperature and pressure, it's very attractive. Who benefits most by implementing hydrogen energy as a solution? Well, the short answer is that everyone benefits. However, I think your question stems from the fact that there's a misunderstanding about how badly we need hydrogen for the energy transition to succeed and I think some people see it as unnecessary. You know, either that or there's concern that hydrogen will come from fossil fuels. But you know, in the past, our electricity and hydrogen came from fossil fuels, but in the future, neither will. Now, without hydrogen, there are many sectors that just won't get fully decarbonized because electricity or batteries alone won't succeed. You know, electrons just won't work in some sectors that need molecules. I've already talked about long distance aviation home and building heating and ships, but another key example is transportation. It is widely being recognized that batteries just aren't adequate for medium and heavy-duty trucks. So hydrogen electric vehicles are an essential choice there. Because of the weight of the vehicles and the payload, plus the fact that these vehicles are used many hours of the day, batteries just can't provide enough energy. And the long recharge time is unacceptable. But for personal vehicles as well, a majority of the public finds the performance and convenience of battery vehicles unacceptable. Public opinion polls from the Pew Research Center, from Consumer Reports, and J.D. Power find that only 20 to 40% of people would consider switching to a battery vehicle. Now, the biggest issue is the recharge time on long trips. Instead of being able to fill a gasoline or hydrogen tank in three minutes every 400 miles, an equivalent battery vehicle would need two stops for about 20 minutes each. And most people find that unacceptable. And you know what? Recharge times are always going to be an issue because that has nothing to do with the battery. It has to do with limits on how fast you can flow that much energy into a vehicle. Things such as safety limits to the maximum voltage and current and limits of any electrical grid to supply that much energy to so many vehicles at the same time.
So with only 20 to 40% of people willing to switch to a battery EV, that falls far short of our desperate need to convert 100% of vehicles to zero emissions. So we need to offer people a choice, and that choice is hydrogen electric vehicles. Who is harmed most by implementing hydrogen energy as a solution? A transition to hydrogen energy could disrupt traditional fossil fuel industries, potentially impacting jobs and profits. How does hydrogen energy work as a solution to climate change? Well, first let me say that if it wasn't for the need to eliminate carbon emissions from our energy sector, we wouldn't even bother with hydrogen. Hydrogen would just continue to be used in certain specialized chemical processes, and that's it. So since our motive to deploy hydrogen is to decarbonize, that means we should only be interested in clean hydrogen. Now, clean hydrogen can be created by splitting water molecules with clean electricity, or clean hydrogen can come from natural hydrogen wells. Now, the way we turn electricity and water into hydrogen is in a device called an electrolyzer. This can be visualized as a series of plastic plates with metallized layers on them, so no moving parts. Water flows over the plates, and an electric current is applied, and oxygen bubbles off one side of the plate and hydrogen off the other. The hydrogen is captured, compressed, and stored for use. Now, to turn hydrogen back into electricity, for example, in a hydrogen electric vehicle, a device called a fuel cell is used. A fuel cell and an electrolyzer look very similar. Both are made from plastic plates with metallized layers. However, in the case of the fuel cell, air and hydrogen are introduced on opposite sides of the plates, and electricity is produced and pure water vapor is the exhaust. What is a real-life example of hydrogen being implemented? One real-life example is Japan, which has been investing in hydrogen infrastructure and utilizing fuel cell technology for transportation and power generation. Japan aims to create a hydrogen society and has set ambitious targets to increase hydrogen production, storage, and utilization. For hydrogen energy to work as a solution, what innovation or policy needs to be created? For hydrogen energy to be a successful climate change solution, the following innovations and policies are critical. Innovation and low-cost, efficient electrolysis methods using renewable energy to produce green hydrogen with minimal carbon emissions, policies and investments to develop a comprehensive hydrogen infrastructure, including production, distribution, storage, and fueling stations will be needed, regulations around establishing safety, quality, and certification standards for hydrogen production, transportation, and utilization are needed to ensure widespread adoption. What are some of the best resources to learn more about? Well, at the risk of seeming immodest, I have to say that the 75 episodes of the Hydrogen Nowcast have a wealth of information about new energy. And it's not all about hydrogen. I've covered topics like geothermal energy, direct air capture using algae, and more. So I would say the podcast is a great place for people to start to familiarize themselves with some of the issues of the energy transition. Right now, you're speaking to passionate students who want to actually solve problems like these. What top three skills should they study so that they actually have the ability to do so? A lot of the science and physics around energy generation and usage is already pretty well understood. Now, of course, better efficiency and improvements will always be made to be sure. But because of the urgency around the climate change, what we need most now is to apply what we already know to create solutions and start building. So for students, I would emphasize engineering, things like chemical engineering, manufacturing engineering, materials engineering, and of course, electrical and mechanical engineering. 
Now, of course, I'd pick engineering since I'm an engineer myself, but we need action and we need to start building solutions now. So to start building solutions, those are really done by businesses. And as I pointed out earlier, we need to build a market for zero emission energy systems. So entrepreneurship is another critical area that needs passion and creativity, especially since we need to do this faster than business as usual to head off worst case climate change. And the third place that we need people is in the area of financing businesses and projects. We need investors that care as much or more about doing the right thing and making a difference than just reaping fat profits. So for students, that covers engineering, entrepreneurship, and investors. And you know, having new minds with new ideas coming into those areas really can make a difference and help things get moving. Any final recommendations for the audience? I started the Colorado Hydrogen Network as just an average person. I didn't have any funding, and I still don't. But the Colorado Hydrogen Network organization and the podcast have brought people and ideas together, and it is starting to make a difference. So it's my hope that others will do the same thing. Just get out there and make things happen. Just do it. So I'd like to close with one of my favorite quotes from Goethe. And by that, I mean uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe who's regarded as the greatest and most, and most influential writer in the German language. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there's one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. The moment when you definitely commit yourself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help you that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issue from the decision raising in your favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no one could have dreamed would have come your way. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has a genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. Let's do just that. For today's activity, develop a policy proposal outlining measures to accelerate the adoption of hydrogen energy in your region. Address incentives, regulations, and collaboration. Thank you for taking the How to Solve Climate Change course. If you want to learn the skills to solve this global challenge, join us for free at Plato.University for exclusive content, extra resources, and actionable exercises with every lesson. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at Plato.University.